0: Gemara Erobin has been sponsored by Mr. Isaac Jamal and his wife Celia for their success, for their children's success, health, happiness, Beracha, b'chol ma'aseh Daf Yud Zayin. Today's Daf has been dedicated by Mr. Eddie B. Sit in honor of the birth of his baby girl Hannah. May she grow up to give their parents much pride and nachat bechekirim to naten. She should be the mother of many healthy children. Amen. No. Today's daf is being studied. The ayin u'shmata Hakham baruch le'fev ben Miriam and Avraham ben Esther. Hashem t'nihem Eden. Amen. We are on daf Yudzain on the second line. Amar Rav. Just to review where we're holding in this sugya we learned on the previous daf a law where one is putting walls around a bika, a valley a valley is considered a karmelit, you cannot carry in a karmelit on shabbat unless you turn it into a reshut yahid how do you turn it into a reshut yahid? you put walls around it so the gemara said, actually it was the mishnah that you're able to wall it with inferior walls what is inferior walls? Walls that either only have a vertical or only a horizontal. Normally a wall has a vertical and a horizontal. That's a complete wall. However, you have mechitsot giruot. Inferior walls would be, let's say, ropes. You just roped it horizontally around. That is considered a legal wall to make the karmelit a shoot a However, the hachamim gave a halakha and they said while it is permissible to carry throughout the whole area no matter how wide the area is even more than bet satayim bet satayim is five thousand square amma the opinion of the hakamim is once you uh, square it off with walls there is no limit how much you can carry in that area however they gave one very important stipulation which is really the basis of tonight's gemara They said that so long as all the area is being used, then already I don't care how long and how wide the area is, it is permissible. But if there is two se'ah bet satayim or more of unused area, meaning the usage of that land, that's 5,000 square amot, if there's that much of the land of the enclosed area that is not being used, then the entire wall is considered invalidated, and you cannot carry in any of the area. Now the Gemara later on is going to explain the rationale of that condition. But that is indeed a condition, that you have to be using the entire land up until Betzatayim. But if you are not using Betzatayim of that land, then already it's not good. Which means, let's say they're using the entire space plus 1.9 se'ah. No problem. Once already there's bits of time that are not being used, then already the Airuv uh, and the mehitsot are considered invalidated. And now the gemara begins based on that very important principle. Amarab gidal, Rav asurin Besheva mutarin it's almost here that Rav Gidal is giving a riddle and he says the following three people three people which the Gav called earlier a shayara. A shayara is like a caravan or a group of people three people Bahamesh that are in five satayim that's the shiur of the field asurin you could have three people that are in five satayim walled, and it'll be forbidden to carry Besheva mutarim. But if the same three people are in seven satayim with the walls, it'll be permissible. Now we have to understand exactly why. Why? Give me the case of three people in five—that's asur—and three people that's in seven is mutar. So this would Rav Gidal quoted. Rav so they told Rav Gidal Amar, Rav Hache. Did Rab really make such a statement? Said, it doesn't make any sense. Amar Lehu, he said, Oraita I swear on the Torah, on the Nabiim, on the Ketubim, Rav made the statement, it's it's confirmed. Amarab my what's what's so difficult about the statement? I could make total sense of what was said. Maybe this is what Rab meant to say. Let's say they needed six satayim. That's how much of the field they needed. And they walled seven satayim. So therefore we understand, you have a case of three people that need six and they walled seven. So there's only one se'ah that's not being used. That's fine. Because the minimum number of not usability of the field is what? Bits atayim. So again, they needed only six. But what they do? They walled extra. They walled seven. How much of the field is not being used? One. You're still within the legal uh, uh, boundaries of what's permissible. So it's okay. Now, mutarim. Exactly. It will even be permissible to, 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 to wall seven. However, Lo hamesh. But let's say they only need five. Let's say they only need five se'ah. b'sheva, and then they made the wall around seven. Afidu asurin. Then even the five is going to be asur. Why? Because they have bits at time of unused. Area And so long as you have bits that have of unused area, it f- makes it forbidden to carry even in the five se'ah that they per- were uh, planning on using. Once we have this interpretation of the Vashay, let's go back now and read the Gidal. So when he said, It means, when you have three guys, that need five se'ah, but they walled a place of seven, it's a because you have two se'ah unused, and the next case, be'sheva mutarim, is three people in seven, meaning they needed six, and therefore they walled seven, so they have one extra, so you're still in the legal area, so therefore you have no problem, so the Gebarah says, tani. but that which we learned, satayim panui, when the rabbi said, that you're not allowed to have two satayim, unused, My love panui me adam. What does it mean unused? Now we're going to get into the detail of it. Unused from what? So the assumption at this point of the Gemara is it's not being used by human beings, meaning there's no people that are dwelling on that betsatayim area. That's what it means panui. Now if that's the case, that she explains that the assumption then is that one person can use Bet Satayim. So every Bet Satayim is for one person. For example, let's say you would have six Satayim, so therefore that would be legal for three people, because each person can live on two Satayim. And therefore, the Gemara's questioning, you told me that if you have three people that are in five, and they walled seven, it's no good. Why? If there's three people, each guy's worthy of two satayim. So therefore each guy's worthy of two. That's six. So you only have one extra. One, you're still within the legal uh, amount. So therefore, how could you tell me three people in five is no good? Three people in five should be good. So the Gibran says, no. we're not talking about people. People do not get one person per two satayim. Which means a person gets whatever he's going to live in. However, when we said that you have two satayim of unused area, means that they're not putting their vessels there. They're not putting their kelim there. There's no storage in that spot, and therefore we review. When it said three people living in five satayim, yeah, it's three people in five. Because you don't get two satayim per person. And therefore the case was when the three people decided to live on five satayim, and they walled seven those extra two are not being used for storage of Kelim. And therefore, since it's free from storage of Kelim, the five become forbidden, even though there is a wall around it. Itmar. Now we have an Amariah statement. Now, we learned in the last daf, a very important halakha. Halakha said as follows, that these inferior walls... They are only valid for what's called a shayara, for three people. Three people that say got caught in the middle of the field of of Shabbat, they need to wall the area, so we let you wall it with these mechitsot giruot. Now, once you wall that area, so we said it's permissible to carry throughout the whole area, as we just mentioned. However, let's say you're an individual. You're one guy, or you're two guys. There, the halacha said, even if you wall the area, you're only able to carry bet satayim. That's the maximum amount of distance you'll be able to carry five thousand amot. So there's a difference between three people, two people, and one person. Three people, and you made these mechitzot, you can carry as much as you want. Two or one, you're only allowed to carry in the perimeter of bet satayim, which is five thousand amot. Now we're going to discuss cases where the number of people changed over Shabbat. Does that change the legal amount of how much you would be able to carry? And the Gevanah says, going into Shabbat, you had three guys in the field. Three guys in the field you can carry unlimited. But one guy died over Shabbat. Now already, the question is, does the amount of legal carrying also change? Because they only have two guys. Well, now we give the case the other way. Shnayin, you had two guys going into Shabbat. Itosfu alihem and one guy joined them so on Shabbat you had a third guy does that also change the parameters of how much they could carry so the gebarah says رَبْهُنَا ذْرَبِي يَتْحَق مَحْلُكَتْ رَبْهُنَا ذْرَبِي يَتْحَق Had Amar one rabbi says Shabbat God one rabbi says it's Shabbat that causes it meaning going into Shabbat what was the status that's already the point that you make your halakhic ruling Going into Shabbat, you had three guys? That means, I don't care what happened in the course of Shabbat. You can carry the whole entire field. Going into Shabbat, you had two guys? I don't care if one guy was added. You only had bet Satayim. Shabbat goremet. V'had amad diyurim gormin. And one rabbi says, no. It's the dwellers that make the decision. Meaning, how many people, bottom line, do you have? You have three people right now? It's unlimited carrying. There's two people right now. Only betzat time. I don't care going into Shara, what you had. You judge it in the present. How many dwellers do you have right now? So now we don't know which rabbi said what. We just know it's the a rav the ravuna and the biyitzak. So the Gemara says to stayem. Let us conclude that ravuna who the amar shabbat goremit. Let us say that it is indeed ravuna that goes with what was the status going into shabbat. How do we want to deduce that? He said, I asked the question to Rav Huna. I asked the question as well to Rav Yehuda. The law is if you have two courtyards. right? Each courtyard is called a chaser. Now, in order to carry from one courtyard to another courtyard, you need to make an eruv amongst the two chaserot. Now, the only way it's legal to make an Eruv between two hatsirot if there's accessibility from one Hasir to another Hasir. So let's say there was a, a door, an opened door, and therefore there was accessibility from one to the other, that door allows them to make an Eruv. So the gemara has a question now. Let's say going into Shabbat there was a door there, which gives them legality to make an Eruv, and over Shabbat the door became sealed. Once the door is sealed now, the question is, does the عروف between them become invalid? Or do we say, no, since you went into Shabbat with the ability to make an عروف, so you're okay. Or another case, Dere حَحَلُونَ Let's say the accessibility was through an open window that combined both Mahalon, And over the Shabbat, the, wall be, the window became sealed. What's the mean? Is the Iruv still valid? The Amar Li, and he says, Rav answered this question by saying, Shabbat, Ho'il vehutra, hutra. Which means, since going into Shabbat, it was legal, it's mutar. we can conclude. Meaning, just like by the case of the Eruv, by the two haserot, we go with how was it going into Shabbat, so we'll say the same thing with the three people and the two people. That what? That based on how it was on Shabbat, however many people you had going into the... Area, that's how much you can carry. And who made that statement by the Ayrub Ravuna. So he must be the rabbi that says by the other case also that it goes according to what the status was going into Shabbat. Comes again and says, let us say that this machlokit. Do you judge it according to how the status was going into Shabbat? Or do you judge it how many dwellers you have in the present? Let us say that that mahloket is also a similar mahloket between the rabbis, Rabbi Yose and Rabbi Huda. Why? would did they say? Ditna, because we have a Mishnah. mishteh ruhoteha. Let's say you have a courtyard. Now, in the courtyard you're allowed to carry. But let's say the courtyard was breached. Meaning on the side of one of its walls, there was a breach. The action came out later on in the Masaika is going to tell us the breach happened on the corner. Meaning it wasn't on the side of the wall, it was at a corner piece, the wall just caved in. So now you have a breach in the Hasir. And the Halakha says, once you have a breach in the Hasir, it is forbidden to carry in the Hasir. Now, chatser The chatser that became breached from two points. V'chen bayit Or a house, for example. You can carry in a house, because the house is a yachid. But let's say the house became breached from two sides. When I mean, You have a hole in the wall in the front of the house, and on the side of the house also one of the walls caved in. Now already it's a breach, reshut yachid, you cannot... Carry vechen, or for that matter, mavui shinitlu korotav or lehayav, or let's say on the Shabbat a mavui, the alleyway which was adjusted with a lehi or a korah, the lech in the korah got removed on Shabbat. So the Gemara says mutarim leota Shabbat. For that Shabbat, it is permissible. Why? Because going into Shabbat, since everything was legal, we don't care what happened over the Shabbat. Now lavo, but going forward after that Shabbat. Of course, it's forbidden. Meaning, we only give you that Shabbat, but the future Shabbat, you have to adjust before. Biudah. Those are the words of Rebiyudah. So therefore, we want to say, just like Rebiyudah says, over here, it goes according to how it went into Shabbat. That's the same opinion of Huna that we said it goes according to how it went in on Shabbat. For example, by the case of the two Hasirot. That as long as the door was opened, going into Shabbat, I don't care if it got sealed on Shabbat. Rabbi Yosef Omer, have your sisters, what are you talking about? If you tell me it's permissible for this Shabbat, it should be permissible for the next Shabbat. im asurin And if you tell me next Shabbat is Asur, Asur, no Asur is Shabbat. You can't play it both ways. You can't tell me for this Shabbat it's permissible, and for next Shabbat it's Asur. Therefore, Rav Yehuda holds it's Asur this Shabbat. Bottom line, the status changed on Shabbat, we go with the present. So, therefore, the vihuda is going to be, I'm uh, sorry, is the opinion of what? That you don't go how it was in and on Shabbat. You go with it right now according to the present situation. So the Gemara says, Let us say that the Ravuna that goes with how it was going into Shabbat, he holds like the vihuda, right? In the case of the. Uh, and if and that says you go according to the present what it is now. How many dwellers you have in the uh, in the Right, if it's three, you go with three. If it's two, whatever it is now, that might be He goes gonna be That says bottom line right now the wall is sealed up in the Hasid, You cannot carry in the because your is now invalid. Amar so the says no. Ana de mm-hmm. says, you know what? I can be going even according to Rabbi Yoseh. What do you mean? lo hatam. You know why Rabbi Yoseh over there went and said that you go according to the present situation. He says, ela delit nu le Because bottom line, right now your hatin is breached on two sides. You don't have and mechitzot are the primary uh, uh, key. To allow carrying in a chadset or a house, so on Shabbat once you lost your walls, there's no question. That's why it's forbidden right now. However, Hacha itnu the Here in our case that we were discussing, you still have your walls. Meaning, in the case we were talking about, where let's say the uh, the people in the chadset, you had the walls up. Your dwellers changed, so it comes along dwellers are not the main item, the main item is you have walls so if you have walls going into Shabbat and your walls are still there status is not going to change, dwellers are a, uh, 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 an incidental to the walls and therefore could be that Biyoseh was only mahmir by a case where your walls were breached, therefore he says you can't carry in such a house or a chassan, uh, however in our case what we're talking about, maybe you will agree, because your walls are still intact, your dwellers changed that's not significant if the well is changed, and therefore you'd be able to carry the, throughout the whole thing. Or depending on how it was, the Rabbi Yitzhak comes out. Rabbi Yitzhak says, "Ana afilo de amre Rabbi Yitzhak comes along and says, "I am going even according to the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda." Meaning, Rabbi Yitzhak is the one that said that you go according to what that the way it was going into Shabbat. So he says, "I could be going according to the Biyuda." that judges the case of how it is in the present. How? The Rabbi was only strict over there that judges it, how it is in the present. Bottom line, you have no walls. So he says like this, I'm sorry, according to Rabbi you go according to the way it was going into Shabbat. Rabbi hudah was the opinion that said what? Rabbi hudah held, if you have your hatzer uh, uh, and the walls broke, bottom line, since going into Shabbat, you had, Walls, you're okay. What's his logic? He says, Because bottom line, the dwellers in the Hasid didn't change. Rabbi Uda looks at the main item of significance is the dwellers, not the walls. And therefore, going into Shabbat, did the dwellers in these Hasir change? No. The same amount of dwellers that were in Hasid A, were in Hasid B. Your status of walls changed. So therefore, he says the significant item is dwellers. So therefore, so long as the dwellers remain, I don't give it up to the walls. The people basically were there, whoever was there was there. Therefore, going into Shabbat, it was like that. It's permissible the whole Shabbat. But here, the dwellers changed. Which means, here, you started off with three dwellers on Shabbat, and you ended up with two, or you started with two, and then you got one, that's already significantly worse. Then it will tell you if the dwellers change on Shabbat, the status changes on Shabbat, and you're going to be either limited or you'll be extended. Therefore, the mahluk is not interdependent on each other. Because each rabbi could argue and say that, while he was strict over there, he could be more lenient in the other case, or vice versa. Comes the Gemaran continues. Now let's just review our Mishnah, because there is redundancy in our Mishnah. Our Mishnah said that when you have these quasi walls, right? We call them mechitzot Giruot. Why they mechitzot Giruot again? Because they either just have horizontals, like they're just like ropes, or they're just vertical poles. So while the Behuda and the Mishnah was strict on this case. He said, these mechitzot, giruot, only are lenient and only are viable for guys that got stuck in the field. We call those guys shayarot. Three guys that got stuck in the field, they need to make quasi-walls will be lenient. But for regular individual people that have the wherewithal to make regular walls, they cannot rely on this. And Hachamin came along and said, it's good for everybody. Okay, that's the shitav Hachamin. It's good for everybody. The language of the Mishnah, I'll give you their words... The rabbis didn't only talk about a shayarah, but they talked in the present case, meaning anybody can use these Then the Mishnah continues. Rabbi Yoseh comes along and says, any mechitzah that doesn't have sheti ve'ariv, that doesn't have horizontal and vertical, it's not a mechitsa. And the hachamim come along and say, all you need is one of two items, either a sheti or an a'ariv. So the Gemara is going to ask now, the first shita of the Hakamim and the second shita of the Hakamim is the exact same shita. Which is the Hakamim are repeating their opinion twice in the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda had a Hakamim react to him, and Rabbi Yosseh had a Hakamim that reacted to him. But basically they're saying the same thing. The first opinion of the Hakamim was what? You can use these inferior walls anywhere. Second opinion of the Hakamim. All you need is one or the other to be considered a legal wall. So the Hakamim, the Gemara asked the obvious question. Gemara says, Hainu Tanakama. The second opinion of the Hakamim is the same opinion of Tanakama. So the Gemara says, No. There is a difference. What about an individual that is in the field? Which means when the rabbis came along and said that It is permissible not only for three people to have this leniency, but even for less than three people. Even for an individual you can use inferior walls. Where were they talking? An individual back at home? Or maybe an individual only in the field where he doesn't have the wherewithal to get a hold of regular solid walls. So that's going to be the difference. The first opinion of the Hakimim are going to say it's only permissible for Yahid in the yeshuv. But a Yahid at home, these walls are not viable. And the second opinion of Hadim is going to say, it's good for everybody. Not only for a Yahid in the field, but even for a Yahid at home, where he can get his hands on good walls, you can still be lenient by using the inferior walls. Now, let's learn how we know which rabbi holds what. The first rabbis were reacting to the Bihuda. What was the Behuda's statement? The Behuda says the rabbis were only lenient in the Yeshuv. They were only, I'm sorry, they were only lenient in the shayara. The rabbis were only, Rabbi Uda says, this leniency of Meisot is only in the field. Hakarim come along and say, no, 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 no. When they said uh, shayara, they were only meant shayara because that's the common case. But even an individual, an individual where but, an individual like a shayarah, meaning in the field. Second opinion, the rabbis were reacting to the Biyose. What did the Biyose say? say it's not a wall at all. Hakimim was saying, it is a wall. Since they didn't make any differentiation, they must hold it's a wall everywhere. Not only in the fields, but even at home. So that is going to be the practical nafkamina between the two opinions of the Hakimim. Yahid bi-yishuv. First opinion will say, Yahid bi no good. Because he's home. Two regular walls. Second opinion will say, Yahid bi the walls are kasher. doesn't matter. Even though they're inferior, they work for everybody at any place. Not only in the field where you don't have but even at home. Comes the new Mishnah and says, There are four things that the rabbis exempted the people that are in the field of war. Meaning soldiers that are out to war are exempt from four laws. Law number one, Number one, they're able to bring wood from wherever they want. Meaning, even though normally there's restrictions of stealing, you can't just go to somebody else's field and take wood to make a fire, it's gizil. But a guy in war, the soldiers, when they went out to fight the wars, the rabbis took all restrictions off and they said, you can go to the fields and take wood from anybody and use it to make a fire. It's a dispensation they made. Why? Uh, the people need the uh, fuel in the water, you're going know, to go start telling them they have to go find the uh, you know, hifkir stuff, stuff that's uh, not privately owned it's too difficult for them, so it's, it's legal. Now the rabbis have a right to do that, the rabbis have a law called hifkir bedin hifkir the rabbis have a right to take property of somebody and make it ownerless if they deem it fit, and therefore uh, it is not a problem. Number two ufturim mirhitzat yadayim, they do not have to wash their hands We'll see what that's referring to when we get to the Gemara. Umid Demai. Demai is food that was taken from an Amaris. And there's a question if the Amaris gave his Maasir or not. Normally a regular person cannot eat Demai. Demai is Rashid vot Da-Mai. What is this? I mean, you don't know what it is. Did he give the Maasir or not? So a regular guy who buys Demai, what does he have to do? He has to give the Maasir again. However, since it's only a safik, and since the majority of Ameha'aris do give their Ma'asirot, for soldiers in the war it will be lenient for them to eat the Demai without having to give it again. Fourth item, mil They do not have to make Ayruf Hasirot. Let's say now in the field, like we learned, the soldiers are in a certain area, right? So they make themselves an Ayruf. Now let's say you have a, a, the same battalion of soldiers. They also camp in another area. So they make for themselves an Ayruf. Now they want to carry from one encampment to another encampment. Now normally, since it's two different reshut yachids, you have to make an airuv amongst the two encampments. The rabbis were lenient when it comes to the soldiers in war, they can go from one encampment to the other without having to make an airuv amongst themselves. Comes the Gemara and says. A an army that goes out to voluntary wars. What is a voluntary war? Any war that was fought after the times of Yeshua Ben-Nun. In the times of Yeshua Ben-Nun, where they were chasing out the seven uh, nations from Israel, that's considered Milhamet mitzvah. So those seven years of war of Yeshua uh, Ben-Nun, Melchimet-Metzvah, anything after that, after we chased out all the enemies out of Israel, then it's just considered a voluntary war. It's called Melchimet-Reshut. Mutarin Begezel Aitzim Yevashim. The B'lita says, they were allowed to steal... Dry wood. Now why would they want to steal the dry wood? Because the moist wood is not good for kindling. The wood they use for, for fire is the dry wood. So they're saying they can even steal dry wood. the more so, they can steal the moist wood, as we'll see in the Gemara coming up. Rabbi bin says, For that matter, the army, wherever they're camping, the law is that wherever one of the soldiers dies, you bury him on the spot. Which means, even though that might not be, it uh, might be private property, it might be, uh, you know, uh, somebody's land, doesn't matter. In the army, somebody dies, you bury him immediately on that spot. And the Gemara is going to analyze that as well. And the Gemara now is going to discuss you tell me that the soldiers are permissible to take the dry pieces of wood what are you talking about this is not a law specifically for soldiers in war this is a law that applies to all of Israel the Gemara Bakama teaches us that when Yeshua Nun settled the land, he made 10 very important enactments and conditions in order that the people of Israel be able to coexist peacefully with each other. One of the 10 enactments was the Amar Mor, there were 10 enactments or conditions that Yeshua Nun made when he entered the land. Number 1, Shiyuhu Mar'in Behorshin, Number one is that people are allowed to take their animals to graze in the forests. Which means um, in a forest, normally the owners don't care. It's just wild stuff growing over there. They don't really care what goes on in the forest. So Yeshua Abedinu said, listen, you want to settle the land? The rules are like this. Everybody has to make their forests available for other people to bring their animals to graze over there. Now again, since no, a normal guy in his forest, he doesn't cut the trees over there for himself. It's just uh, wild growth. So that was one rule. Number two, And he allowed everybody to go to each other's field. You see some wood, you could take the wood and use it for fire. So the Gemara is saying, what are you making a thing for soldiers? It's not only for soldiers, it's for everybody. That's one of the conditions of Yeshua ben Nun that anybody can go to anybody's field and take wood. So the Gemara says, no. In Yeshua's rule, it was only with thorns and fistals. That they let you take, because that's inferior stuff. When it comes to the soldiers, they even let you take wood. So there's actually an advantage that the soldiers have over the existing alternate answer, which means in Yeshua's enactment, they only let you take the stuff that's still attached to the ground. Because the stuff that's still attached to the ground, the assumption is the owner is not going to use them. Because if he wanted to use them, he'd cut them. The stuff that he sees in the field over there, it's uh, not going to be used. So you can take that stuff. But in the soldier situation, you can even take the stuff that was cut, which was earmarked already by the owner to be used, you can go and take them to make a fire. Inameh third answer over there in Yeshua's time they only let you take the moist stuff the moist branches because usually people don't use the moist branches because you can't use them for the fire but in the soldier situation they let you use even the dry because that's the main items so therefore it is permissible Okay, so the, technically we have three conditions La the kim say that uh, the soldiers uh, have uh, to follow all three answers, meaning they're able to take only the stuff. They can take even the uh, the dry stuff. They can take the stuff that is uh, cut from the uh, fields, and they're also able to uh, not only take his but they can even take wood. wood. Cut from the fields, even when they are dry. All the leniencies will apply. And for that matter, all these stringencies will apply to the people of Israel based on the Tekedah of Yeshua. They're only allowed to take... His me and only when it is uh, uh, detached or uh, attached, and only when it is moist, comes the Gemara continues. The b'udam etema al meir, the b'udam etema tot afhonin bechol makom makom chineher gim sham nikbarim. That wherever the soldiers may die, they bury them on the spot. Gemara says pshita. That's obvious. Met mitzvahu. It's a met mitzvah, which means we have a law that says if you have somebody that God forbid dies and there is nobody around, relatives to bury him, what's the deen? Umet mitzvah, koneh mekomo. A met mitzvah that dies, you bury him on the spot, meaning literally he buys his place. Meaning, that's the spot where you bury him. So what are you making a deal of soldiers? This doesn't only really apply to soldiers. Anybody that's a mitzvah, no matter where he dies, if there's <laughs> nobody around to bury him, he's buried on the spot. So the Gemara says, <laughs> Even if there are relatives to bury the fallen soldier, still, you don't let the relatives take him back to the city to bury him on the spot. Why? Because there's no time now. You're not going to now troubled soldiers to stop their war front in order to go uh, bury a guy. So the Hiddush is, even though there is ability to take him back, you bury him on the spot. time now we have a Braita. Ezu Met Metzvah, what is considered a Met Metzvah? She'en Lo Kovrim. So long as there is nobody there to bury him. However, Koreh Ve'achayrim Onim let's say he's on his deathbed so to speak he's in the field dying right but he can call out please help me and they're able to hear him mit and they that's not considered a mit mitzvah. I mean, so long as he's in earshot of somebody we can call them a relative so to speak to come and bury him and then he dies that's not a mitzvah the relatives got to take him and bury him back at home so the Gemara says are you telling me that a met mitzvah, he's buried in the spot where you find them? The Gemara is going to challenge that. We learned in the Brayta. Hamotze met. You found a dead body mutal besartiyah. You found him, let's say, in the middle of the street, in the public thoroughfare, in the road. Mefanehu the astratiyah, or the small astratiyah. Either you pick him up and you bury him to the right of the road, or to the left of the road. Sadeh bur nir. Let's say on one side you have an uncultivated field that's called Sadeh bur, and the other side you have Sadeh nir. That's a field that has furrows, meaning it's prepared for planting. Which field do you bury the guy in? Mephaneh bur. So you bury him in the uncultivated field, which means you try to bury him in the place that's going to cause the least damage. <laughs> then, Sadeh Nir V'Sadeh Zerah. Let's say the two sides are, one is a Sadeh a plowed field, and the other field is already planted. So where's the place of least damage? V'Sadeh sedenir. So you bury him in the plowed field if the two are equal, either both plowed, both planted, or both uncultivated, then you bury him to whatever side you want. But what's the underlying question over here? What are you even moving him? If you just told me, bury him in the street. What are you telling him? when you put him to the right side, to the left side, we're measuring the quality of the fields. If you tell me he owns the spot where he died, don't pick him up at all so the Gemara Askinan. we're talking about where he died on the border between two fields so now if you're going to leave him there it's a problem why? because Kohanim are not going to be able to walk on that area because the Kohanim always needs to be tahor if he walks over that spot because it's in the middle of two fields it's in the middle of a thoroughway to so what's gonna be, all the Kohanim are going to become to so therefore, you can't leave the guy. This guy is an impediment now for Gadiam. You got to put him either on this side or that. Nobody's walking through a field, but on the border of two fields, people walk so therefore the Gemara says the once already we have a heter to move him from the border so the Koanim do not become time'im. then already once you pick him up already then already you might as well decide take him to the right, take him to the left which means you can bring him wherever you want because once ready, you're moving him then already you can move him to the place that's going to cause already the least damage <laughs> let's read she inside the She says on the fourth line Third line, A dead body that's buried on the border. He's he, he lying uh, uh, to the width of the road. Right, from one border to another border. The only reason why you can move is for the Kohanim. Or those people that are dealing with things that are tahor. Or korbanot, etc. So they don't... A roof over him if they make a roof over him they become tamer <laughs> so they can move from any side that they want but generally speaking a met, a met mitzvah is kone mekomo there's an interesting Tosafot in Masih al-Khitobot of Yudzayin where the Gemara over there says an interesting story over there Tosafot brings down that Rabbi Akiva says in the beginning of his Shimush when he was servicing the Tamidah and studying so one day he came to the yeshiva late. So the rabbis in the yeshiva chastised the biakiva and they told him, uh, "Why are you late today?" He said, "No, I was involved in a mit mitzvah and I went and I carried him, you know, a very far till I was able to get him to the cemetery." So the rabbis told the and "Every step that you took, you were hayav mitah. So the Um, Tosfot explains what's the rationale why they told him it's Hayab Mita because Met Mitzvah Kone Mekomo And therefore he should have buried him on the spot. What did you have to take him all the way uh, to the cemetery for? You're right, you had to involve yourself with a Met Mitzvah But bury him on the spot. However, the Tosfot brings him a rabbi called the Rime A very interesting answer. He says that when do you say that you involve yourself with a mit, mitzvah? That's even in a case where you're going to miss a shiur. Which means here the Biyakiva now had a question. Do I go learn, which is tamu Torah, Kudam, or do I involve myself in burying the body? Well, the Gemara answers that. The Gemara says clearly, a mit, mitzvah overrides even tamu tura. So therefore, Rabbi Akiva made the right decision, seemingly, to bury the body. But the Rimi Kuvil says, no, he didn't. Because if you analyze that Midrash, what it says there, it says, in the beginning of the Shimush of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was not just learning Torah with these rabbis, he was involved in serving them. What does serving them mean? It was his apprenticeship. Which means he already was now learning from the Hachamim, the proper way to... Uh, to employ what you learn. It's not enough to learn book knowledge. You have to take the book knowledge now and put it into practice. Like a doctor. Nobody would ever go to a doctor and allow him um, to give open heart surgery because he read it from a textbook. He has to have an internship. He has to see it firsthand. The Mi'a at that stage of his life was involved in his shimush, which is, it was his apprenticeship. And therefore, the Gemara says in Berachot, Torah yotin milimuda. Shimush is even greater than learning. So Tuzfat says, a, a blockbuster she says, when do they say that a met mitzvah overrides learning? That's only when it's Talmud Torah. But Shimush Talbideh Hakamim, that overrides met mitzvah. So the rabbis chastised the man and said, "You should have left them there. You're involved. You're not learning now. You're involved in shimush. Shimush yotem Milimud. limud. If met mitzvah overrides limud, it doesn't override shimush, and therefore you should have came straight to the yeshiva. That shows you the importance of shimush tamidari, even at the expense of a met mitzvah. That's the rimikurbil Kurbil ketubot. The Gemara continues." We said the soldiers are exempt from washing their hands. This only is referring to the first words, meaning before bread, they don't have to wash their hands. The rabbis waived that restriction of Netilat Yadayim because they're in the fields of war. But my macharonim choba. But my macharonim, the water is after the meal. That's obligatory. Amar vchiyah bar asher mepenema nul my macharonim choba. Why do they make such a uh, uh, an effort and a and an emphasis on my macharonim when they tell you it's mandatory? Even a soldier in war has got to find water. So mepenes shemela sedomit yesh shemisamei ta'inaim. Of course, there's a certain salt that comes from Sedom. And it has the ability to blind the eyes. Now you have to remember in the olden days, <coughs> there was a certain uh, minhag when they used to eat, that at the end of the meal, the Gemara we learned in Berachot says, <speaking> in <Hebrew> At the end of all your meals you should eat salt. So what they used to do, they would take their finger, dip it in salt, and uh, eat it. And what were the rabbis concerned about? That lest a person put his finger in his eyes, and maybe in that salt, is some of that salt from Sedom, and therefore it's blinding. Now we have a rule. Something that's made because of Sakana reasons, that's even more stringent than something that is just merely Isur. Which means in Isur, you can wave, I push it away. My and don't make. But this is already a health hazard. Health hazards, like the Gemara says, Hamira, <laughs> Sekinta, Therefore, the Achimim were concerned that the soldiers should wash my and <laughs> You find about one granule of this minasidumit in a kud of salt, which means it's not so prevalent. You can have a whole kud of salt, and maybe you find one granule of the minasidumit. But what? We don't want to take a risk that maybe in all those granules you have one minasidumit, and that's the one that's on the hand, and that's the one that's going to blind. Comes a tap and says, "My choba achshav lo be my Tosfot says. Uh, this, is a, this is the opinion of the Ashkenazim. They do not have the custom to wash my We don't have this melach anymore. Yeah, this was maybe the times of Gemara, but it's not prevalent anymore. Therefore, they don't make my Or he says we don't dip our fingers in salt like they did in the olden days. Who dips their finger in salt? Therefore, four said it doesn't apply. It's not a gezerah. However, the Shohar Aruch in siman kuf pe'alif, is posek, like this gemara, exactly, my Maharunim Choba because against it's a issue, we don't want to take a chance, and especially according to the Kabbalah, there is a very big enyan the, 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 the midrash brings down, that somebody that does not make my maharunim, chaz Shalom his panasah uh, is His livelihood is uh, suspended. And therefore, there is a big according to the Kabbalah as well to make the my harunim. There was a famous story once of a, uh, a fellow that went to the Arizal and he was suffering shoulder problems. Uh, so the Arizal asked him right away, do you make my harunim? The guy didn't understand the relationship between that. He says, no, I don't make my harunim. He says, that's why. He says, what are you talking about? Because the Gebar Abed Akhut taught us Tekif lintila beracha. That immediately after you make the tilat chalai mai maharonim, beracha, you make, berkat amazon. He says, you don't do the tekif lintila. The word tekif, which means immediately, can also be boggled into the word ketif. Ketif means a shoulder. You didn't do the tekif, so God got you in the ketif. Fix the... Take if and God will fix your captive. So you see, there's a lot of other uh, benefits of making them. The Zohar says, it's like giving a little piece to the Satan. Because the Satan, after every meal, comes along to God and says, these people don't deserve to eat. These are sinners over here. Do they have a right to indulge with all this food? So how do we silence the Satan from that persecution? So we give him a piece of the meal. What pieces he enjoy? All the dirt that's on the tip of the fingers. So he likes that. So as if we're giving him a bribe at the end of the meal. Here, take your heilik over here. He adam like the Zohar says you're supposed to say. You give it to him, keep quiet. So it silences the satan from persecuting us in heaven, from prosecuting us in heaven, because of the meal that we just ate. In any event, Rabah what about a person that measures salt? He's a salt measurer. He works in the salt factory. Does he have to make my maharonim? name? <speaking in Hebrew> de, Goes without saying. What kind of question is that? It's not a law in eating. It's a law in... Mm-hmm. There, anybody that comes in contact with salt. Based on this, Khambin Abashul has a very interesting alakha. He says if a guy eats salted pretzels, he has to make my maharim after. Because it's nothing to do with bread. It's not a deed in eating. Here you see a guy who's measuring salt, he's not eating. He has to make my maharim. So a guy eats a uh, salted pretzel, he also would have to make my maharim as well. Kamsa Gemaran continues. With with the sure. The it's the point in the salt, not the point in the bread. Gemaran says, <laughs> Also, a person must. a Person must uh, in the fields. We said a person yeah, must uh, is allowed to eat demai, meaning the soldiers are allowed to eat this questionable fruit. we have a mishnah? demai. It is permissible for poor people to eat demai. What does that mean? Poor people to eat demai. The rabbis were lenient when it comes to Aniim. Since the majority of Ami'atis do give the ma'asrat. If an Ani has this over, what are you going to tell the poor guy? Give again ma'asrat? he doesn't have enough food for himself, they're going to tell him to give it again. So for a poor person, he's allowed to eat demai. Vet demai. What is achsanya? The law was the Jewish soldiers, when they used to go out to war, they used to have mercenaries. Mercenaries were soldiers that would come from different lands in order to help the Jewish effort. Now where would these Jewish mercenaries stay? They would stay in the homes of Jewish people. So the Halakha says, when these guys come to your house, you can feed them Demai. Even though you can't eat Demai, but since they're soldiers, the law is that soldiers can eat Demai, it's permissible. Amar Tana, Tana Beit Shammai, says, En et Demai, bet Demai, Bet is strict. He says, you can't give the poor people, nor the uh, mercenary soldiers, He says, no, you can give the poor people as well as the also Demai. Let's point to the Gemara. We said that the soldiers do not have to make an Eruv between the two campments. Amre lo we we'll only discuss that they don't have to make between them between one campment and the other campment. However, But Eruf Tehumin they have to make. What is Eruf On Shabbat, there are certain restrictions on how far you're allowed to walk. Meaning, based on wherever you were settled before Shabbat, you have 2,000 amot, Beyond that point. And therefore, HaKamim is saying, in the old days, what did they used to do? If a person wanted, let's say, walk far, before Shabbat, he would go to the furthest point of the city, put some food over there, that would be considered, if that's where he is for Shabbat, and he has 2,000 and what from that point. So he bought, he bought some distance. So the rabbis are telling you, the soldiers, we only gave them a dispensation when it came to Eruf Haserot. I mean to walk from one camp to the other. But Eruf Tehumin, they have the same restrictions as everybody else. If they want to walk far, they have to make the adjustment before Shabbat. They tani taught, Torah. He held that somebody that goes against the Iruf he gets lashes from the Torah. Meaning he subscribes to the opinion of Rabbi Akiva that we learned, that host tehomin is deoraita, the And therefore, well the rabbis waved erube Hasero, because that's rabbinical. But eruf Tehumin is the oraita. therefore we don't give a dispensation for soldiers. And he says, not only don't we give them a dispensation, but if you transgress I mean, you get lashes. The Gemara says Matkifa Yonatan. The Gemara says a question in the name of Rabiyunatan. Vihokim Al Lav Do you get Malkut from a negative commandment that was phrased in the Torah with the word Al? Why what does it say? The Pasuk says, Al Yetse mekomo. The Torah teaches us that a person is not allowed to go out of his place on Shabbat. It is from that pursuit that some rabbis learn the law of Tehomin. Al ish mekomo, you cannot go out of your place. Now how does the Torah say it? It doesn't say lo yitze, it says the word al. Now al also means don't. But the Gemaratist question is assuming that you can't get lashes on a negative commandment unless it was said with the word lo. But if it's said with the word al... You can't get lashes, so the Gemara says on that. Matkif Rab Bar Yaakov According to that reasoning, al Ovot vela We have a pasuk in Torah that says we're not allowed to go to um, witchcraft people. The Ovot and yidonim are people that use bones in order to bring down the souls of people to communicate with them. Now we know that's assuming a Torah, and if you do it, you get lashes. But how does the Torah phrase it? Al. Al-tifnu You can understand what? Because it says Al, you're not going to get laid. It's impossible. Haqaname telolake? What are you going to tell me? You're not going to get malquut by an oven that you don't Of course not. So, give me another one. Rabbi Yonatan You know what Rabbi Yonatan's question was? It wasn't on the word Al. There's no difference between Al and Lo. His question was, Lav shinitan azarat mitat beddin. This isur is of al mekomo. the Gemara in Shabbat learned don't read the word yetzeh, yetseh means don't go out, but read the word al-yotzi, do not carry. This is the source pasuk for the isud of carrying on Shabbat. Now we know the isud of carrying on Shabbat is one of the 39 melachot, and all the 39 melachot are punishable by death penalty. Now we have a cloud, this is the cloud. Any pasuk that's coming for a sin that's punishable by death penalty, Cannot be teaching me a law of lashes. If it's teaching me death penalty, it's death penalty. And therefore the Gabbana says, Which means like this. You want to tell me that if a guy goes and walks out of the border on Shabbat, he's got lashes, and you want to base it on this pasuk, you can't. Because the primary purpose of this pasuk is what? Not for walking out of the boundary. It's to teach me the law of carrying. Al-yotzi ish mimikum, do not carry. And we know the law of carrying is punishable by death. To the extent, Rabotai, if let's say the guy carried on Shabbat, so in order to give him the death penalty, they have to warn him first, right? That he's gonna die. Let's say they made a mistake in the warning, and they told him, if you do this over man and carry, you're gonna get lashes. halachah says, you do not give him lashes. Because since the Pasuk was coming to teach us death, and you made a wrong hatra'ah, you don't give him, even lashes. So the Gemara is saying, how could you come from this pasuk, which primarily is coming to teach me a death penalty for carrying, and learn over there that you're going to get lashes for transferring something or walking outside the tomb? Doesn't work that way. So he answers, Amar mi al yotzi. So what do you want from me? What is the pasuk? Does the pasuk say al yotzi? Don't carry It says in the pasuk, don't go out. Which is according to this rabbi of Ashir, he's saying the primary point of the pasuk is not carrying. The primary pasuk is what, walking out out of the uh, out of the tomb, and therefore it's not coming to tell me about carrying, which has death penalty. It's coming to tell me the law of walking out of the tomb, and therefore it's punishable by Malkut. Therefore, I have no problem. Let's read the sheet together. she says, we'll read the last two dashis together. lav shinitan azhara. Right, whenever the Torah says, "Don't do this," betin, because if you do it, you're going to get punished for by death. you cannot get lashes. even if they made a mistake and they didn't warn them for mita, and they warned them for are well, not going to kill them. You still don't give him lashes. Any person that came for a warning of death cannot be used for malkut. Kebalah's answer, Ketiv, lashon Masui. Not talking about carrying. If it was talking about carrying, wouldn't it say, al do not remove, do not carry. The fact is, al from there they learned that while it's coming for Tehomin. Again, like I told you, this can only be going, going to be akiva that holds tehomin is the oraita, But the consensus of the rabbis is, that the law of tehomin is only mid And therefore, it comes out that according to this, even the soldiers would be permissible, not only in Eruv Hatserot, tich- uh, but as well as Eruv Tehumin, because we hold that it is only mid Hadran, Baruch